0: So as Pastor Jude mentioned, we are, we're beginning a series titled Necessary Endings. And if, uh, just just start us off, why? Why talk about necessary endings? I'm gonna give you the big idea for the series. You'll hear us say this over and over again. Uh, you could call it the thesis of the series, and it says this, we'll put it on the screen. This is why we're talking about necessary endings, because there are things that have to end today in order for us to experience what God has for us tomorrow. Amen, right? Let me read that again. There are things that have to end today in order for us to experience what God has for us tomorrow. Well, I don't know when you might be watching this online, but for those of us in the room and streaming live today, it is February the 6th, meaning that we are about five, six weeks into 2022. And I just wanted to ask you, how's your New Year's resolutions going? Are they doing good? Statistically, we've all given up already, right? That's, that's the reality. I'll, I'll give you an update on my New Year's resolutions. I resolved at the beginning of the year that this was the year I was gonna lose 15 pounds and I've got about 20 more to go. So that's the track that I'm on. Actually my wife and I have a bit of a friendly competition and I say friendly and there's nothing friendly about it. It's just a competition. Uh, who, whoever is gonna, has abs first this year gets to choose where we go on vacation. And I said, done. And she said, they have to be visible, visible abs. And, uh, and looks like she's probably gonna be picking the vacation spot this year. That's the, again, the track we're on. And I just need everyone to gather their faith together with me in the room today, okay? I believe that God has abs for me in my future. I need more faith than that, come on. I believe, you know who's really believing for this? My wife, my wife's really believing that God has abs for me in uh, in my future. I believe it, I believe it with every fiber. I believe that God wants me to have abs, I do. I believe they're in my future, but the reality is there are things that have to end today for me to experience what I believe God has for me tomorrow. I'm being funny, but truly, if I believe that God has abs for me in my future, you know, the ice cream sandwiches have to end today. You know, like that, that extra sugar in my coffee has to end today. There are things that have to end if I'm ever going to step into the future that really Christ has designed me for. And that's why we are talking about necessary endings. I want you to go to Luke chapter nine, verse 23. You got a Bible in the room today? Come on, if you've got a Bible, maybe hold it up in the air real quick. And it could be your phone, that's all right. I, I like paper and leather and what's left of this one. I'll probably need to get this one reworked or rebound later on. But I want you to go to Luke chapter nine. And I'm gonna read a scripture out of Ecclesiastes first, but we're gonna spend our time in Luke chapter nine. So that's why I want you to go ahead and head there. But this is what the Bible says about endings. In, Ephesians, or sorry, in Ecclesiastes chapter three, verse one, it says, for everything, there is a season and a time for every activity under the sun. You know, whether we like it or not, endings are a part of life because life is made up of seasons and phases and stages. And what makes a season a season is that there's a beginning to it and there's an ending to it. So, so whether we like it or not, endings are a part of life. And not only do we need to embrace those endings, but we need to choose to let those endings go so we can move forward. Because for there to be anything new, the old has got to pass away. Even consider childhood itself. A child has to choose to put away childish ways in order to embrace the adulthood that they are destined for, but not everybody does it. You've heard it said that everybody gets older, but not everybody grows up. Because there's a part of life where you have to choose these necessary Endings, And the reality is, is when we fail to embrace necessary endings, we are destined to repeat the same mistakes and things that kept us in this last season. However, when we recognize that something needs to end in our lives, when we realize that there's a necessary ending that God is bringing to the forefront in our life, and we choose them and we embrace them, what happens is, is it leads to the end of pain. It leads to greater growth. It leads to a better life. Really, endings bring Hope. Now, I wanna be clear. The reason we're talking about necessary endings is not so that we can all have better lives and become better versions of ourselves. This is not a self-help series. We're not just trying to help you become a better you. The reason we're talking about necessary endings is because Jesus talked about necessary endings. Jesus says, if you're gonna come after me, there's things that you have to end in your life. Jesus says, I have prepared a new way for you, but you've gotta walk away from the old way to embrace the new way. That's not a sad thing, that's actually a beautiful thing. Because when we say no to an old thing, it opens up the ability to say yes to a new thing. And new cannot begin until old ends. And so we recognize that it is God's good grace and perfect will that there be necessary endings in your life and in my life, amen? So that's why we're talking about this. I want you to look at Luke chapter 9, verse 23. Now, Jesus is talking to people who have expressed, Jesus, we believe in you, we love you, we want to follow you, we want to be like you, we want to be your disciples. Essentially, they were saying, We want to be your church. So, this is who Jesus is talking to, and he says, Okay. If you want to follow after me, you are are saying that this is your desire to live with me and like me, this is what must come to an end in you. Chapter nine, verse 23. Then he said to them all, if anyone desires to come after me, let him, or some translations say he must, deny himself, take up his cross daily and follow me. Let's read that again, because this is our scripture today. Jesus said, if anyone desires to to come after me, anyone desires to be one of my followers, anyone desires to live as the church of Jesus Christ, they must deny themselves, take up their cross daily and follow me. I wanna preach a message today titled, the cost of living, cost of living. Anybody familiar with cost of living? Cost of living is this idea that if you wanna maintain the same type of lifestyle you have, you need to move with the cost of living. Cost of living is always rising. Can I tell you when it really hit me in a big way? Was when my family moved from the South to the West Coast. I said, you guys pay what for rent? You guys pay what for gas? Is the beach that nice? Is the weather that nice? Are the mountains that nice? Yeah, they are, they are, they are. It's better than mosquitoes and humid weather and alligators trying to eat your dog and all of that kind of stuff. Can I tell you, it's beautiful here on the West Coast. It's beautiful in California, but we pay for it. It, There's a cost to this living. Last year, my wife and I moved our family from Ventura to Camarillo. And we were accustomed to like a round trip, just like a mile long round trip back and forth to work. That's what we were used to. We moved to Camarillo. We now have a 15 mile one-way trip. And the week that we moved was the week that gas prices went up by 50%. I thought, Lord, why have you forsaken me and abandoned me? I'm a I'm facing the cost of living. There is a cost of living. I remember when uh, my kids were all younger, we could go to a restaurant, and all three of my kids—I have four now, but three of my kids at the time could eat. She could share one kids meal, one kids meal, and so I was like, "Let's go out to eat." And my kids have been getting older. My older daughter, she's 13 years old, and she's like, "Dad, can I order off the adult menu?" I'm like, "No, you cannot." (laughs) And if anybody asks you how old you are, you're 10 years old. (laughs) And she says, but that's lying. And I said, I know. And if you don't do it good and convincingly, you're not eating tonight. So you're 10 years old. There's a cost to living. Things get a little bit more expensive as you grow. You know, there's a cost to growing up, right? Have you ever heard like, hey, you're too big for that. You can't do that anymore. It's kind of a sad thing, right? We have a 15-month-old daughter. Her name's Asher. She's the cutest thing. And it wasn't long ago, Keola, I was out doing something in the car in the driveway. She goes, hey, Steve, look. And I turn around and there's my 15-month-old daughter just running out to me buck naked. So cute, right? She comes running out and I pick her up and hold her and squeeze her. And I don't know why I had the thought, you know, there's gonna come a day where you just can't run outside naked anymore. I don't know exactly when that day is. All I know is it becomes illegal, right? So like (laughs) there's a cost to growing... Up. I remember that first, that first year I uh, had graduated high school and I, was, I had gotten a job and it's coming around to summertime. And I'm like, yeah, it's gonna summer break. And my dad said, you don't get summer breaks anymore. Adults work through the summer. I thought, dang, there's a cost to growing up. You know, there's a cost to getting married as well. And I'm not just talking about the ring and the wedding. I'm talking the cost of marriage is leaving behind a single life, a single way of thinking, a single way of making decisions. I remember the first time I, I accidentally well, just ignorantly made holiday plans for us without talking to my wife first. I didn't make that mistake again. There's a, there's a cost of living. You, gotta, you can't live like a single person anymore or you're gonna become single again, right? There's a cost. But, there's, but it's worth it. There's a cost of growing up, but it's worth it because with growth comes opportunity. There's a cost of being married and it's, and it's, and it's costly, but it's worth it because commitment brings intimacy. There's a cost to following Jesus, but it's worth it. Because with Jesus comes everything we will ever need. So what is the cost of following Jesus? What are the things that need to end in me in order for me to take hold of and experience the tomorrow that Jesus has paved the way for me to have? He tells us in Luke chapter 9, verse 23. Can we read that again? It says, if anyone desires to come after me, he must deny himself. This is the cost. This is what it's going to take. This is what it means to be a follower of Jesus Christ, to deny himself, take up his cross daily, and to follow me. There's a cost of living for Jesus. The first cost is this. We have to deny ourselves. Would you say that right now? Say, deny ourselves. This is the first cost that Jesus lays out. Hey, listen, not everybody has to do this, but if you've said that you wanna live for me, this this is what comes along with it. This is the cost involved. You have to deny yourself. Now, I wanna be clear. I wanna help, help everybody understand exactly what Jesus was saying. He was not saying that you simply need to deny certain things from your life. Kinda of like if you're doing a Daniel fast, like I'm saying no to this kind of food, but I'm gonna gorge myself in this other kind of food. It kinda of defeats the purpose of it. He's not saying that we deny certain things from our life. Actually, when he says you need to deny yourself, he's saying this is a mandated rejection of all life that is based around self-fulfillment or self-interest. This is, a, this is a big cost. This is a heavy call. Jesus is saying, if you're going to follow after me, you are saying, I am no longer the center of my life. I have come to the peripheral. Jesus is now at the center. He says, if you're going to come after me, you need to deny yourself, which means you no longer pursue anything or make decisions in life solely based on how this impacts you. Your first lens or filter is, how does this fit with my life committed to Jesus? This is now the filter in which I live my life. When you read throughout the Old Testament, or sorry, the New Testament, you'll see that Paul is regularly speaking about this idea of denying ourselves to become more like Jesus. Specifically, when you look in the book of 1 Corinthians, when he's writing to the church, he begins to deal with four different large areas of the life of those believers, and he begins to coach them and teach them and instruct them. And these four areas are this. He says, the reason why you guys are divided among each other are all these different reasons. You're divided. You're divided. Then he begins to talk about the sexual sin and immorality that was that was taking place within the church. He goes, "This these are the things that you're caught up in that are wrong." Then he begins to talk about food and drink and how that impacts and causes challenges within the body of Christ. And then he starts talking about corporate gatherings and some of the challenges that were being created as a result of gathering. He said, "The reason why you're having all of these challenges is because you're you're approaching your life the way the world does. You are looking at all of these things through the lens of your preference and how you feel and how this impacts you. He said, but while the world is led by their feelings and preferences, the church is to see all of these areas of life through the lens of the gospel. In other words, I'm not gonna engage in sex and different parts of immorality because it's the way I feel. No, I'm gonna approach that because this is what God says. He says you won't have so many divisions around you if you stop being so committed to your preferences. If you take a step back and look at through the lens of love or through the lens of Christ and what Jesus has done, it begins to unify the body of Christ. He said, the reason you have challenges when you gather together is because you're seeking to have your own interest be exalted rather than the purposes of Jesus Christ. And so we begin to shape ourselves. He says, listen, you gotta put something away. You gotta put away a self-entitled, self-interested, self-perspective that constantly calls us to live below what Christ has called us to. And there's no scripture in 1 Corinthians, I think, that is more clear than 1 Corinthians chapter 13, verse 11. I want you to go to 1 Corinthians chapter 3, sorry, chapter 13, verse 11. Again, he's talking about the church needs to stop living life and approaching every area of their life based on their preferences and start approaching it through what Jesus says, the truth of God's word. And what he does is he contrasts the difference of a child versus an adult, what a child lives like, how a child makes decisions, how a child uh, approaches their life versus an adult. But what he's likening childhood to is self-centeredness, selfishness. Because that's what kids are, they, they, they're selfish, they're self-entitled, until they are taught another way, they, they, until they put away childish things, they remain childish, correct? So he begins to instruct them, and and, and in light of all of these areas, and in light of him saying, listen, we have got to throw away selfishness and take on the truth of Jesus, this is what he says. He says, when I was a child, I spoke, I thought, and I reasoned as a child does. But when I grew up, I put away childish things. Let me say that again. Paul is, is calling the church higher. And he says, I want you to know this for me, because Paul was somebody that said, as I follow Christ, follow me. Paul says this, listen, when I was a child, I spoke and I thought and I reasoned as a child. Why did he do that? Because he was a child. It's expected. He said, however, when I grew up, I made a decision and I put away those childish things. When you read the book of Ephesians, the book of Galatians, the book of Colossians, the book of Philip, you constantly see Paul saying, church, it's time to mature. Church, it's time to grow. Church, it's time to change. Church, it's time to put away sinful habits, toxic patterns, these cycles that continue to keep you in a worldly way of living. Why was he always calling them to these new heights? Because Paul knew that if anyone in the church was gonna take hold of what Christ really had prepared for them, there was things that had to end in them today. There was necessary endings. And so when Paul takes this moment to say, I put away. I want you to know something about this word, put away. Everyone say, put away. put away. He says, when I was a child, I thought and I spoke and I reasoned like a child does, which is self-centered, self-focused, self-fulfilling, self-perspective. But then I put away those things. That word in the Greek is kartagio. Kartigio. You want to sound smart today? Say kartagio. You just spoke Greek. Good job. This word is powerful and I wanna expand on this word because it's really stronger than just simply what put away would sound like to you and I. He says, when I was a child, I thought like a child and spoke like a child, reasoned like a child. But when I became a man, when I grew up, when I, when I realized that God was calling me out of an old life and into a new life, when I realized that there was an old life that needed to pass away and I needed to embrace a new life, when I recognized that there was a necessary ending that had to take place in my life in order for me to take hold of all that God has for me, I cartigeoed, I cartigeoed, I put away all of these self-centered, childish ways. This word cartigeo means this, to render idle, to deprive of any influence, to terminate all intercourse with, I love this one, to cause to become nothing. I'm going to say that again. What did he say? He goes, I used to speak selfishly, but I've decided to render that part of my life idle. I used to think in ways that were super selfish and had me at the center of the universe, but I've decided to deprive that way of living. I decided to deprive that of having any influence in my life. I used to make decisions and I used to to reason simply out of this self-centered approach and this me at the center of my life attitude. But I have decided to terminate all intercourse with that way of living. Why? Because I'm not a child anymore. I'm grown up. I'm not the old man. I'm the new man. And I need to make a decision. He he, he says, I want to cause those things to become nothing to me. What did Paul know? Paul knew that those types of of, of living and those types of behaviors and those ways of thinking, they don't pass away with the passing of time. Those are things that you have to make a decision of finality and to say, this attitude, this perspective, this way of living, this way of engaging with life, I am shutting the door. Because this is the word picture of Cartagena. The word picture is that you shut the door on something and then you turn your back on that thing. Look at the finality of what Paul is talking about. He says, I will no longer be ruled by a selfish mindset. I will no longer be ruled by an immature way of life. I will no longer be influenced by something that has no business being in my new life. And so I'm not just gonna leave it there. I'm not just gonna walk beside it. I'm not gonna pretend like it doesn't exist. I'm actually gonna shut the door on this thing. I'm gonna repent, turn my back on it, and head in another direction. And Paul is saying, church, it's time to stop acting like kids. It's time to stop being selfish. It's time to stop living life as if your life is meant for you and not Jesus. Because Paul understood what Jesus called his disciples to in Luke chapter nine. Jesus says, if you're gonna come after me, your life cannot be about you anymore. It now has to be about me. And so when Paul talks about talking and thinking and reasoning like a child, those words, actually, we don't have time to go into it, but they are so broad and so expansive. The the word for speech talks about how everything in your life, everything that comes out of your mouth is is based on yourself. It's it's, it's, it's filtered through who you are, not through who God is. That word for thinking talks about how you form your opinions about things, how you judge people, how you feel feel how, how, how you're led in different areas of your life. In other words, I, it's because of my experience and, and my understanding and my perspective and my leaning. And now I make all my decisions because of me, 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 rather than this is what Jesus says. And so now this is my way of thinking. He begins to bring all of these things together and said, listen, when I was a child, that was acceptable. When I lived in the old life, that was expected of me. But when I realized that Christ had called me higher, when I realized that there was another life that God had for me, when I understood that God separated me from that old life and made it possible for me to step into a new life, I recognized that my role in this is not just to accept what Christ did, but to actually put away everything that I don't want to bring into my next life. He realized that there were things that needed to end in him that day in order for him to take ahead and take hold of everything that Christ had for him in his future. And I'm just going to be very clear with what Paul was saying. He was saying, we cannot follow Christ and be self-centered. We cannot live for Jesus and just talk however we want to. We cannot live for Jesus and form our opinions just based on our experience and our perspective and the way we grew up. We cannot follow Jesus and allow our attitudes to be go up and down based on what the world is doing around us. We cannot follow Jesus and make our decisions solely how this impacts me and my family. We cannot follow Jesus and keep a record of wrong of everything that everyone's ever done around us and think that somehow we're walking like Jesus. Jesus said, if you're gonna follow after me, there's a cost of this life, and this cost is denying yourself and putting away, cartageo, turning your back on, shutting the door on an old self-centered way of living. Jesus says, if you come after me, you desire to, there are things that have to end today so that you can take hold of everything that I have for your future. Everybody still with me? Say amen. I know this is challenging, but the church needs to be challenged. Number two, this is the cost of living. You deny yourself. He says, you also gotta take up your cross. Someone say, take up your cross. Up your cross. What in the world does that mean? I've never, I've never carried a cross. I, I wouldn't even know where to start with carrying a cross. So what was Jesus saying? Was this just a, a 2,000 years ago? Is this just something that we would've done back then? No, 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 this is a call to us today. This is what it means. When he says you need to be able to take up your cross, he's saying you are making a commitment unto death. This, this, this commitment to follow me is a till death do us part kind of commitment. This is the real deal. Most specifically, when he says, take up your cross, it, says, it means this, you need to have a willingness to suffer martyrdom if it comes to that. Ooh, it got heavy. It got heavy for a second, didn't it? Can I can I make something clear today? And I just and if and and if and if I have ever played a part in making this unclear, I repent and I want to I want to be clear. Following Jesus, following Christ is not about attending church 3.5 times a month. Okay? Following Christ is not about joining a church because they promise that you could be out in an hour and 15 minutes so you can get on with your busy lives. Following Christ is is not being happy when they sing your favorite song in church, but being irritated when they sing a new song in church and you don't know all the words. (laughs) Can you tell I'm the worship pastor? I could could harp on that for a moment. (laughs) Following Christ is not just logging onto your Bible app and sharing verse of the day on your Instagram. Following Christ is not just trusting Jesus and giving him the first 10% of your income. It's not even just about taking care of the needy and the marginalized. All of those things I said are good things and should be a part of the life of a believer. But when we come to Jesus and we say, I wanna follow you, I wanna live for you, I want you to be my savior and my Lord, we are not adding good things to our already busy life. We're laying down our whole life. We're surrendering everything to Jesus and say, Jesus, it can all go away. It's all because of you. And then whatever you call of me to do, that's my response to you no matter what it costs. You know, no one ever said, and if somebody did, I, I'm so sorry that they did. Show, nobody should ever say that following Jesus is easy because they're either ignorant or they're lying to you. In fact, Jesus says, here's what you can expect to face trials, to face challenges. He even said this, they persecute me. So expect to be persecuted for my namesake because if you bear my image and you bear my name, the same hatred that they have for me, they're gonna have for you. So you just need to be ready for that. This is this is, this is the cost of following Jesus. Now, thankfully, he never said that we have to die for our faith, but he did say that we should be prepared to die for our faith. It's, it's, it's costly. Following Jesus is costly. And I think if there's one mistake that the church maybe has made in the last 10, 20, 30 years, we've, I think maybe we've, we've advertised that Jesus that accepts you as you are, but is okay with you staying the way you are. And that's just not the truth. Jesus says, I'm calling you out from the world to be separate from the world. You can come to it. Your salvation is free by faith through my grace, but your response to that grace is denying yourself, taking up your cross, coming after Jesus and following him no matter what it costs. This isn't a popular message, but it's the only message that can change your life and change your eternity. There is a cost of living for Christ. And you know what? This is what distinguishes the difference between a fan of Jesus and a follower of Jesus. Do you know what the difference is between a fan and a fanatic? Let let me, let me give you an example. Anybody excited about the Super Bowl this coming Sunday? Anybody excited about it? Any Rams fans in the house? Any Rams fans? I think they're gonna do it. Any Bengals fans in the house? Any Bengals fans? All right. You know who you are. Any fanatics in the house? Any fanatics in the house? Yeah, a few. Okay. All right. So I would say I'm a Rams fan. And that's what this, that's, let me tell you what that means. That means uh, if there's nothing else happening, I'll turn it on and cheer for them. And uh, if you said, hey, I want to give you a ticket, I would say, let me check my calendar. If I'm free, I'd love to take it. I'll even buy a shirt. A fan involves themselves when it benefits them. But a fanatic doesn't matter what it costs them. They'll empty their bank accounts. They'll miss their kid's birthday. They're a part of it. They're a fanatic. They'll paint their chest, you know. They'll do it. They're a fanatic. Uh, a friend of mine has a friend named Sean, and he is a Rams fanatic. And he, he got Super Bowl tickets a year ago before he even knew that the Rams were gonna be in the Super Bowl. So you can imagine, he is psyched about it. But he texted his, my friend the other week, and this is what he said. He's kind of in a challenge. He said this. My, I got the text. that said, hey, Sean, a good buddy of mine has Super Bowl tickets, 40-yard line box seats. He only paid $2,500 for them a year ago, but he did not realize when he bought them that it was going to be on the same day as his wedding. It's probably because of the extra game this year. So if you're interested, he's looking for someone to take his place. It's at Calvary Church in San Clemente at 3 p.m. Her name's Nicole. She'll be wearing the white dress. That is the difference between a fan and a fanatic. A fan is all in if it benefits them and works for their schedule. A fanatic says, I don't care what it costs me. I'm all the way in. And I'm here to announce to you, Jesus says, I'm not calling you to be a fan. I'm calling you to be a follower of Jesus. Meaning it doesn't matter if it fits in your schedule. It doesn't matter if it's all about your preference. He has called you to follow him no matter what it costs you. There should be more people clapping about this one. He has not called us out of the darkness into the comfortable, easy lights. He has called us out of death and into life. And he has called us to a very specific, very on fire, very committed life for Jesus Christ. There is a cost to this. No matter what it costs is actually what he's calling us to. And let's be honest, because we all are feeling this. Let's be real. Being a Christian in 2022 isn't the same as it used to be. Being a Christian in 2022 isn't like what it was like in the 80s. It's not like what it was like in the 90s. Yeah, for kids, there was a time of the 80s and I was born in them. It's not the same way that it was in 2000 or 2010. Can we be honest? It's not even the same way it was to be a Christian in January of 2020. Things have changed. Things have heated up. Culture is shifting. And I hear Christians many times say, man, when's it just going to get back to normal? When's it just going to go back to the way it was? When's it going to get easy again? Can I tell you something? I don't think it's going back to normal, but I don't want it to go back to normal because in these past few years, Jesus has used it to wake up the church to say, there's no longer a time. We don't have time to live in the gray area. We don't have time to have one foot in the world and the other foot in the church. We can't afford to have people not sure where we land when it comes to who our savior is. No. It's time to stand up. It's time to choose a side. It's time to walk forward. It's time to take up our cross and say, come what may, I am all in for Jesus. We have to come to a point of saying, come what may, I'm in it till the end. I'm not in it when it's easy. I'm not in it when it's comfortable. I'm not in it when it makes sense. I'm not in it when I'm popular. I'm following Jesus no matter what it costs. There's a cost of living for Jesus. There's a cost. And I got to tell you, I believe. I believe that it will be more challenging to live for Jesus in the future than it was in our past. But I take courage, and I am not discouraged about that, and I am not afraid about that, and I am not backing down because of that, because this is what I know. No matter how challenging it gets, no matter what storm comes our way, no matter how isolated we feel, we will never walk alone. We will never walk alone. There's a moment in the Old Testament where the prophet was afraid and he realized that he was surrounded by the enemy. And he said, Lord, I am afraid. And then God opened his eyes and he recognized that God of angels' armies were not only surrounding him, they were surrounding his enemy. And he realized that there was more with him than there are with the enemy. And I'm telling you, the Lord is opening up the eyes of the church right now. We are recognizing that though it seems like we are outnumbered, we are not outnumbered. Jesus is on our side and he is coming back for a church that is not defeated. He's not coming back for a church that's weak. He's not coming back for a church that's barely making a buy. He's coming back for a glorious church. That's you and I who stand strong, who know our place, who know our calling. And we know, we know that Jesus is with us. We will never walk alone. And this is what he promised his disciples. When his disciples were nervous about Jesus going back to the Father, they said, we don't want you to go. He said, it's good that I go because when I go, I will send my spirit to you and he will be your helper. He will be your guide. He will be your advocate. He will be your guidance in the the, the dark places. You will know where to go because my spirit is coming to you. He said, don't worry. You're gonna be able to fulfill the call in your life because I'm sending my power to be in you. So Acts chapter one, verse eight, the disciples are waiting. They're waiting for the promised one. They're waiting for the the power of Jesus to come and fill them. I want you to remember in Luke chapter nine, he says, if you're gonna be my followers, you're gonna deny yourself, you're gonna have to take up your cross, which is you need to have a willingness to suffer martyrdom for me. Jesus, I wanna be willing but I don't know if I can. Anybody ever been there before? Have you ever considered what you would do in a situation where you were faced to choose your faith or your life? God, I hope I would say yes. I hope I would do it, but I don't know. Acts chapter one, verse eight. He says, I'm leaving. But right now, look what he says. You will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you and you will be my witnesses, telling people about me everywhere. Guys, that moment we've waited for, it's here. You're about to receive power, power from the Holy Spirit. And it's for a purpose. What's the purpose? So that you can be my witnesses. That word witness is the word martis, is where we get the word martyr. He says, I'm giving you power so that you will be able to be someone who is willing to die for me, if that's what it comes to. Jesus never calls you to something that he doesn't supply you what you need to accomplish it. Jesus did not call his disciples to be willing to die for him without also giving them the power that they would need to actually rise up and do the thing that they were called to do. So what does this mean? That means we need to realize that we have been given power, but we have not been given power so that we can live like everybody else. We have been given grace, but not so that we can just live like anybody else. God has given his church power, and he has given us grace so that we can stand out, so that we can stand up, so that we can stand strong, so that we can be different, so that we can resist temptation, so that we can be a representation of Jesus in a dark and in a challenging world. No matter what comes our way, he has given us the power and the grace to stand strong and to be the church. In the midst of it. If we're ever gonna stand out, we have got to give up our desire to blend in. If we are ever gonna be unashamed for Christ, we have got to give up our desire to be accepted by everybody. There is something that needs to end in us in order for us to get and take hold of what God has for us. We have to give up a life pursuing just our self-interest, but we also have to give up a life where we need to be loved and accepted by everybody. No, we only need the love and the acceptance of one person in His name is Jesus Christ. And he has given us the power to do it. And number three, I wanna invite the band to come forward and we're gonna bring this to a close. He said, there's a cost of living for Christ. There are necessary endings for the life of a believer. You have to deny yourself, walk away and abandon that self-centered way of living. You have to take up your cross. In other words, you have to embrace a willingness to follow me no matter what it might cost you. Listen to me, church. I'm not just trying to fire us up. I'm trying, to, I'm trying to be the voice of the Holy Spirit in this moment. The reality of following Jesus in a culture that is anti-Jesus is that it will cost you, it's gonna cost you things. It can cost you friends. It can even cost you family. Jesus said that be prepared to walk away. It can cost you money and it can cost you business deals. It can cost you influence. It can cost you clout, followers, and all of that. But what you will gain for standing strong for Christ, for not compromising and backing down, but having a willingness empowered by the Holy Spirit to follow after Jesus. Can I tell you the quicker you get to the end of yourself, the better. What did Paul say in 2 Corinthians? He says, hey, I've I've, I've dealt with a lot of things, but what I've found is that God's grace is sufficient for me because it's actually in my weakness that I step into and discover God's grace and God's strength. Coming to the end of yourself is not a sad thing. It's a freeing thing. It's a joyous thing. It's actually where life begins for the believer. There's a cost of living. You gotta walk away from that self-centered, driven perspective in life. We gotta be willing to, to come what may, but I'm staying strong for Jesus. And then finally he said, you gotta follow me. Follow me. And that word, follow me, doesn't speak of a decision that you make at one point and now you're good. This actually is a word that speaks of a continual decision to follow, to continue to take that one step after another behind Jesus. It's crazy, when you follow Jesus, you have no idea what you're getting into. When my wife and I felt like God was calling us to leave our family, to leave security, to leave that easy cost of living in the South, we had no idea what we were going after. We had no idea, all we knew is that we had made a decision to follow Christ. But as you follow him and as you take step after step, you realize that his grace is sufficient, that his strength is enough, that though things have to leave and go in a different, go behind you, what you take hold of in the future is worth everything you ever had to walk away from. So he said, follow me, this is a daily thing. And that's why in Luke chapter nine, he says, you're gonna deny yourself, take up your cross and follow me daily. You know, that there are are things, there are necessary endings daily. And so what does that look like for the life of a believer? If you're following Jesus and you're you're following hard after him, it means getting up in the morning or laying your head down at night and saying, Holy Spirit, search my heart. Search everything in me. Search the parts of me that I don't even know about. Reveal things to me that maybe I've gotten comfortable with. I thought that this was right. Oh, Jesus, convict me of the things that I am wrong about. Have you ever had a particular view or a particular stance or a particular response? And you've been been locked into this your whole life. And then one day, suddenly you can tell that it's wrong. And Jesus is, is doing a work in you. Can I tell you, that's not a sad thing. That's a beautiful thing. And it's gonna take us laying down our pride. It's gonna take us admitting that maybe we've been selfish in areas that we thought we were virtuous. But that moment of coming to the end of yourself, denying yourself, taking up your cross and choosing to follow Jesus, it, it, it it is an ending that suddenly ignites a new hope in your life. That suddenly opens up an area of life you didn't even know was available to you but it comes in the obedience and it comes in the self-sacrifice and it comes in the yielding to Jesus Christ beyond your experience, yourself, your perspective, your habits and traditions. Follow me, come to the end of yourself. Would you stand to your feet this morning? There's a few people I wanna pray for tonight. Sorry, this, this morning. Maybe you're watching at night and this word's for you. I wanna pray for those who when I began to talk about what it means to deny yourself, to put away childish ways of thinking, self-centered perspectives that began to stir in you. Let me say this, there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. The Holy Spirit never draws up areas of imperfections in your life to shame you, to embarrass you, to point you out, to put you down, to expose you. The Holy Spirit only ever pulls out those things in us that don't look like Him so that He can lovingly, as we surrender it, remove it from us so that we can become more like Jesus. And so maybe there's been a pattern in your life that you've been stuck in. And the reason you've been stuck in it is because there was some sort of self-gratification in it or you felt like you were justified personally in keeping it. Maybe there's something that you've held on to and and you don't know why you've always held on to it, but if you're scared of letting it go because this is somehow part of your identity, can I tell you something? You can trust Jesus in your surrendering to him. And when we surrender that to him, not because it makes sense, not because we have the strength to do it, but it's just because you feel like, Jesus, I feel like you're asking me to surrender and yield something to you. And I don't want anything in me to keep me from doing what you've called me to be. There is freedom in that. And so right now with every head bowed and every eye closed, if that's you today, and you say, I feel like Jesus is pointing things out in my life. There's some sort of a selfishness, some sort of uh, something that that doesn't look like him. And he's wanting me to surrender that. If that's you right now, I want you to lift your hand high. And I'm gonna begin to pray for you. I really believe that as we surrender and as we raise our hands, I, I think God does a work in us right now. Come on, he sees you. That's a big deal. That's a big deal for you to walk away from something that you've held on to. That's a big deal to trust Jesus and surrender with that, with that thing. Come on, right now, Jesus, we just think, I want you to pray for yourself right now. Begin to confess, begin to hand that over to the Lord. Say, Jesus, I give you this unforgiveness. Jesus, I give you this habit. I give you this way of thinking. Lord, I just thank you that you are so kind. It's your kindness that leads us to repentance. God, I thank you that you have not brought us to this moment in time so that we can be shamed, so that we can come under condemnation. No, God, you've brought us to this point in time so that we can experience liberty, so that we can experience joy, so that we can experience the freedom that only you can provide, So right now, we cartageo, we put away those things right now in Jesus' name. We take intention. God, we render those things idle in our life. We say that no longer will those ways of thinking and those habits have any influence in our life. We terminate all intercourse and all action with those things right now. We are making a decision as mature Christians, as those who are following hard after you. We say no more are those things gonna rule my life. No more am I gonna be ruled by my attitudes and feelings that come from an outside source. No, God, you are our light, you are our direction. Your spirit is our guide. And right now we humbly lean into you, Jesus, and say, search our heart, reveal every wicked way within us so that we can put those things away and follow after you in Jesus' mighty name. Amen. I also wanna pray for those this morning who feel like, you know what? I I do wanna be somebody who's filled with boldness. I do wanna be somebody that's filled with courage. And come what may, I wanna be somebody that has the power of the Holy Spirit to stand strong for Christ, even in a society or in a world that may be in in opposition to that. You know, that's so cool in the book of Acts, what you'll find is the reason that people were able to distinguish who the church was, it was because those who stood boldly for Christ with courage They would look at them and they would see their boldness and see their courage and they would say, it's evident that you have been with God. And maybe that today is you. You're saying, hey, come what may, I don't know what the future holds. All I know is I sense that God is wanting me to be bold. I sense that God is wanting me to be courageous. I sense that God is wanting me not to be led by fear. I wanna tell you what Paul said to Timothy. He says, God has not given you a spirit of fear. He has not given you a spirit of timidity, but he has given you a spirit of power and of love and of a sound mind and a self-discipline. And so if that's you right now, you're saying, I feel like God is calling me to be bold. I feel like God is positioning me to be courageous. Come on, he's not gonna call you to it without filling you with the power to actually accomplish it so if that's you right now lift your hands to heaven you say i have a desire to be bold for jesus i have a desire to be bold from the world bold against the world and for jesus come on you have a desire not to live in any gray area any longer you have a desire not to bow to compromises you have a desire not to be led by timidity but no you have the spirit of the living god inside of you god has built is church in you and it will hell will not prevail against it. So right now in Jesus' name we thank you God that you are for us and you are not against us. God I thank you that you are, you are leading us in this new way. We don't know where to go. We don't know what's ahead of us but we take confidence that you are leading us. We take confidence that you are providing for us. We take confidence that you are strengthening us. Right now in Jesus' name God we yield our hearts to you. We say yes to all that you want to do in Jesus' name and I speak courage the church. I speak faith right now into the church. I speak expectation right now into this church. We will be we will be strong and we will be mighty. We will not shrink back, but we will stand strong. We will allow the Holy Spirit to lead us and to guide us in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. 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 Finally, this morning. I wanna pray for those who wanna follow Jesus. Now, I mentioned that following Jesus is a daily decision, but it always starts with one decision. And maybe you're here today and you say, hey, I, I don't, maybe you don't know why you're here, somebody dragged you here, maybe you've been here a while and you've kinda of just been scoping this thing out. Can I tell you, there comes a time when a man or a woman needs to decide who they're living for, if they're living for their self, or if they're following after Jesus. And maybe today is that day of decision for you. There's no better time than right now. The Bible says we're not promised tomorrow. Let today be the day of salvation. Romans 9 says, if we confess with our mouth, we believe in our heart that Jesus is Lord, that we shall be saved. And so with every head bowed and every eye closed right now, you say, that's me. I wanna make a decision to follow Christ. I don't know what the future holds. All I know is that I wanna do it with Jesus. That's you on the count of three, you're going to lift your hand high and we're going to pray together as a church. You say one, I'm ready to follow Jesus. Two, I want to follow Jesus. Three, that's you right now. Lift your hand high. Say, it's me, I want to follow Jesus. Come on, right now. In Jesus' name, I see you. 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 Come on, right now. If that's you, lift your hand high. Say, I'm ready to follow Jesus. Come on, be bold. Come on, be not ashamed. Be courageous right now to follow Jesus. Come on. Amen! Woo! Thank you, Jesus. Now, we're going to pray in the room right now. And if that's you online and you want to give Jesus your heart, there's a link in the chat or there's a, there's a QR code on the screen that you can scan, and we're going to help you make this decision together. Let's pray together, church, for all of those who are making a decision to follow Jesus. Say, Jesus, here I am. All of me, I want you to have it. I need you. I receive your forgiveness. I make you the Lord and Savior of my life. Help me to live for you every day. In Jesus' name, amen. Come on, let's sing together and let's worship. We so appreciate you spending time with us. If you'd like to invest into what God is doing through City Church California, you can go to our website, citychurchca.com and click give. Thanks again, and we hope to see you at one of our campuses this Sunday.